0: I'm Ted Berg, joined on the phone today by my colleague, Luke Curtinine. Luke, what's up?
1: What's up, Ted? How the devil are you?
0: I am doing well. Thank you for the early Britishism to to get (laughs) us into what may be a theme of this show. Uh, We're going to take some questions from the internet. Typically, Hamil Javeri is here for this session every week, but she uh, could not make it. This week she's busy and traveling tomorrow, so instead, sadly, we're left with Luke Curtinine.
1: I know a, a, dis- a distant second, but from a personal perspective, even though it may not be in the podcast interest, it's an honor to be in to be in Hemel's stead in in, in her in her place.
0: It's not optimal, but we will have to, <laughs> we'll have to make do. We'll have to make do. And the good news is, I should say, so Hemel... Uh, strongly rejects all of the food questions we get. She will cheerfully answer or try to answer, but she does not appreciate talking about food as much as I do. But we always get a slew of food qu- food questions, or food questions, if you will. Uh, so, so we can get into a bunch of them today. I try to limit them to one when Hamill's on the show, but since it's you, I feel like you're going to let me... Get through asking more than one food question.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, we're a very meat-centric, a very meat-centric website, which doesn't bode well for the vegetarian Hemel. But you know what? She's she's not here, so let's let's go full cow on this thing.
0: That is exactly it. Um, but we'll start with a, with a, I guess, a sports question. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sports question, but, uh, one that I think probably will prove a sports question for both of us. And it comes from our man, Charles Curtis, who always hooks up good questions and, and I feel like caters them to the audience. In this case, he wants to know what's the absolute worst bet either of you has made in hindsight. Can you think of any horrible bets you've made?
1: Well, I mean, uh, I can I can think of a uh, of a horrible instance in which I didn't make a bet, but I could say like with with reasonable confidence the um the the well you know every horse racing bet I make is just a terrible bet I, I, I just yeah every single one like well, I get so, caught up I get excited you know I'm like oh yeah this is gonna hit the superfecta why not and like it's just so far away from hitting the superfecta but and, do you,
0: it, do you bet on horse racing as though you have any actual expertise or are you just picking names you like.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm almost always picking just names I like so, and like minimal research to uh, that's all confirmation by it.
0: I feel like that doesn't really make it that bad of a bet. Like I bet I have bet if I'm at a horse race or if I'm for whatever reason, like at an OTB or something like for the spirit of it, I will place a bet with like literally no knowledge whatsoever besides like, hey, like I, I won't pick the longest long shot because I feel like the handicapper is probably on top of that one, but I want to make some money if I do hit. So I'll pick like an eight to one to 12 to one horse with a cool name and put money on it. And I know it's a bad bet. Like I know that I have no information whatsoever, but I also kind of feel confident that the people handicapping horse races are so good at it that you're not really going to routinely beat the system one way or the other.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I, but to answer the question, the actual worst bet that I've ever made. Um, I'll take you back to the distant year 2014, and so basically, obviously, 2014 was a World Cup year for soccer. So all these sports books were offering these um, these nation prop bets. So basically, what the bet was was that which team, will, which country will win the World Cup, and then which country, and then will a golfer from that country win the U.S. Open? It was a U.S. Open World Cup bet. So if we were going to say America, we would say that in order to win the bet, one American golfer has to win the U.S. Open and America has to win the World Cup in order for that bet to pay out. These are just fun prop bets. And so basically, I was at Golf Digest at the time and a buddy of mine, Alex Myers, who we were, we were looking at these bets and, and basically we had narrowed it down to three bets. Uh, Spain um which was the 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 play there was sergio garcia who of course won the masters this year but so spain win the world cup who were big favorites at the time sergio um germany to win the world cup and martin keimer who had already won a major to win the u.s open and england to uh win the world cup and to and for finally a british golfer to win the u.s open and so um basically what what ended up happening was that i was settled on germany i was like the the Blumen Germans, they're gonna they're gonna do it. They always do it. They're, I thought they were gonna win the World Cup. I didn't think Kaim was gonna win the U.S. Open, but I thought that was the best. That was the best play. Um, at the last minute, I was like, no, I'm not going to bet on the Germans. Come on, England. So I put I put the money on England. I mean, England, as I a like,
0: good Englishman, how could you bet <laughs> on the Germans? Come on.
1: Exa- exactly. So I was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this. I won't feel good if I, if, if I won. I'm going to bet on German. Come on, Lee Westwood. Um, Lee Westwood promptly missed the cut at the U.S. Open, in England just crashed out, bottom of the group in the first round. Germany went on to win the World Cup, and Martin Keimer, cruise to a massive, boring victory at the U.S. Open, so a smooth ten dollars left uh, left well over sort of three thousand dollars on the table, which which stung a bit. In, in retrospect, I would have very much enjoyed betting on Germany and winning with Germany, but but um yeah, betting on England, heart over head, very frustrating.
0: See, I don't fault you for betting with your heart over your head. I think that I bet the same way, and like I will never. I would never place a bet on any team without hedging it by placing a bet on my team. So, you know, because I don't want, I don't want to ever have a scenario where like, well, if my team wins now, I'm, I'm not going to make that money. You know, I want to, I want to have, I want to have pure happiness.
1: So, yeah, class, classic emotional hedge. It, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a good strategy.
0: Is it? I, I don't think it is. Uh, well, especially no, if you root for my teams.
1: But good, good. It's a good strategy for the for the soul, right? That you can make your rational bet, and then you can make your emotional bet. And then no matter what, you'll have some, you'll have, in theory, you'll have something.
0: And I should say that, like, betting with my heart, this is uh, extremely ironic, but I, when Georgetown is in the NCAA tournament, On every single bracket I fill out, I just put Georgetown winning the championship. And Georgetown (laughs) always goes out in, like, the first or second round in the tournament. And I have still won a bunch of NCAA tournament pools despite having Georgetown winning the championship.
1: The frustrating thing is, though, is that that happens in soccer all the time. And, like, somebody will just put $5 on that team, you know, or, like... This year, like, you put $5 on the Falcons who are my team to, to, like, win the Super Bowl or whatever. And then, like, one of these times they do it, usually. You know, like, these Leicester fans, like, they spend $15 over three years betting on their team. And if they actually did it, they would have walked home, like, $38,000 last year. So, um does happen occasionally, I guess. Uh,
0: I, I can't think of, like, an especially bad bet I've made. I Except that I can say that last year... Right around it was I. It was at the Major League All Star Game, or or uh, it wasn't at the game itself. It was I believe after the game or the night before the game. I was out with several members of USA Today's baseball desk, one of whom, uh, extremely nice guy, but was was uh running his mouth. I would say a little bit about the Warriors acquiring Kevin Durant and insisting that they would be way worse for doing so, and so. Just really to step up and challenge him on that, I bet that the Warriors would win at least 69 games this year. And everything I believe about sports is that you should always count on regression of some sort and teams that play extraordinarily well like the Warriors did two seasons ago, you should never really expect them to repeat that performance, even if they do go ahead and add Kevin Durant. And so, you know, I made this bet knowing it was a bad bet, and then sure enough, the Warriors gave it a pretty good run at the end there, but I wound up two wins short of uh, winning that Taco Bell lunch. And so now I owe one member whose name I will not mention of the USA Today Baseball Desk a lunch at Taco Bell
1: <laughs> you know yeah I think it's a good point you made about battle on regression because what you're trying to do and and I think you know I make I, I I pick against the spread with Steven Ruiz every week in the NFL and you know the secret is not trying to pick um who you actually think is going to win the game the 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 the, the key is trying to give yourself as large of a buffer in case weird things happen, right? So, like, you're trying to look for reasons to take the points because there's more potential ways to win if you take this, if you take, if you're getting points than if you're trying to, if you're trying to beat the spread consistently because you're just, the margins are just that much thinner. Um, Yeah, so when you talk about, like, winning 69 games or something it's, it's this it's the same notion right there's just not a lot of room for error they could put together a really good season and still fall right short. they're
0: like the 7th best team of all time or something and and it's still not good enough
1: yeah you're banking on them just being like the best team of all time or you lose it's just a tough it's just a tough the thin margins
0: yeah i when i back in the day when i when i bet on football i don't watch a lot of nfl football anymore so i don't i don't i don't, for me the appeal of gambling on sports is always just making it a little more interesting and giving myself a little bit more of an investment. So if I'm not going to watch the football, I don't really want to bet on it, but yeah, my strategy was always just sort of betting on the teams with the, uh, with the most getting the most points.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like, but people, you know, a lot of people, they don't, um, five thirty eight did this, uh, wrote this really interesting article a few years ago, but they said that, you know, just simply if you just said, how do teams who are getting points perform over time? They they cover the spread um, more likely, than, more often than not. But people just hate picking them because they hate, A, rooting for a team who they don't think is going to win. And B, it's just a tough, you know, people tend to think in very binary terms. They think about, like, oh, of course the Pats are going to beat the Browns. But, like, that's not the question, right? It's not about whether the Pats are going to beat the Browns. It's whether they're going to beat them by... 24 points or whatever the spread happens to be that day and it's just uh some reason not always people don't always um people don't always think about it that way
0: yeah and i would say that i even i always probably i put too much consideration into how i would guess lots of like the group think fans would be betting to bet against that so last year for example i felt uh, you know, I, I picked the Cubs to win the World Series at the season's outset and you know felt uh, you know as confident as I could be that that might happen uh, and 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 predicting a baseball season is a, is a ridiculous enterprise anyway, but I, I thought the Cubs were gonna win. the Cubs won, but I wasn't gonna bet on the Cubs because it felt like every single Cubs fan was super geared up about the 2016 Cubs, and so to me it seemed like, well, every single Cubs fan is going to put a bet on the Cubs. That's going to screw up the odds to the point that I don't want to get in on that action. I probably should. Yeah,
1: you you see with the Dallas Cowboys every single spread, and like the Steelers every single spread, where like, the, these spreads are just ridiculous sometimes. You're know, like, how, how is the spread? And it's just because, you know, there's just so many Cowboys fans who just blindly bet on the Cowboys every single week.
0: Uh, we should go on. We should, we've we, That's a but that's a good question again from Charles, but I want to get into some of the food stuff. I've got two sort of related questions, uh, comparing, well, it's about British food. So this is your area of expertise. And I'm gonna, we're trying to limit to five questions. We've got six today. So I'm gonna kind of combine these to two, which is what we did last week too. Uh, this, the first part of this comes from Maggie Hendricks, our colleague. She wants to know what British food thing do Brits love? but you find secretly terrible?
1: Hmm, secretly terrible. I don't find, usually if I don't like something, I'll just you're, tell.
0: You're pretty upfront about stuff
1: you don't like. I'm, I try to be pretty up, straight up straight. down. I will, down you know,
0: I will criticize you in many ways, Luke, but <laughs> none of them are for holding back on your takes.
1: Thank you. Thank, no, so the two things, um, I saw this question come through, and the two things that immediately jumped to mind um, is Marmite, which is maybe a bit more Australian than British, but God, I hate Marmite. Is Marmite, Marmite I, the
0: same as Vegemite?
1: Yes, same that's grass. I, I don't know what it is.
0: I don't. I've never tasted it. I can look at it and say that stuff's grass.
1: I mean, it's it, it. It kind of it's it kind of just tastes like a worse, like more uh, tangy, less sweet version of like molasses or something. You know, it, yeah. it's like if you took all the sugar out of mola- You know, if if molasses didn't really taste sugary and tasted like tangy. Huh. And, like, it, it, it's a really weird flavor. I'm butchering just the simple description. But, yeah, because I mean, all you should... I can
0: think of is molasses taste sweet.
1: Yeah, no, it's like, like, molasses, I like molasses. But it's like if you had molasses, but, like, you kind of take away the sweet. It's that kind of texture. And you just, you, 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 you. you sort of fill it with a bunch of just tang I guess and like record it. it makes you kind of record I don't know you should try it just to just to experience the sensation you're like man I, I kind of agree with Luke here.
0: yeah gross. I you know I, I would try just about anything I mean, we, we can do it maybe we'll eat vegemite sandwiches on on Facebook live at some point but I suspect strongly that I do not like that but I actually I want to follow up on that because uh, I know from speaking to European people, that a lot of European people and perhaps Australians as well feel that way about peanut butter, where peanut butter grosses them out and they want nothing to do with it, and that's like America's Vegemite.
1: Oh, it is. It's funny. Like when I was in England, like the, you just don't find peanut butter. You don't see it. Like certain Americans would be like, oh, you just can't get peanut butter here." Then I came over here, and peanut butter isn't just like a door. It's kind of in like everything over <laughs> it's here. It's staple. Right? It's
0: a staple. Like I, it's I eat... a staple. I eat an astonishing amount of peanut butter. Like I, I have peanut butter. I, I especially like. I don't. I don't particularly love chocolate, and so that really limits my the dessert flavor palette. You know, and so peanut yeah, butter yeah, yeah. is like kind of it for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I like cinnamon things too, and I like vanilla things. But I like. I would say like I, I almost always have something sweet before bed, and like it's very often either like peanut butter on a graham cracker or just. Honestly, straight peanut butter in a bowl.
1: Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend loves peanut butter too, and it's like I don't know. It's it's quite. I mean, I like peanut butter. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, no. It was definitely. It, it definitely took me aback when I first. I mean, I think it's one of these things where, like, you know, American America is such a new country in the whole scheme of things that the idea of like <laughs> America,
0: classic British guy thing to say, go. For
1: it. <laughs> it is though, and like know. you know, the concept of like you know an American like culture is sometimes like I think I think Americans forget like that there is like American culture and I think peanut butter is very much like an American is, is, is very much a staple of like American culture. And even though you know British culture or you could say like sort of uh, you know Anglo culture is very similar um, to American culture in a bunch of ways, like peanut butter is definitely one of these things that has been lost somewhere over the Atlantic.
0: Do you um, know, do you know, did, I bet I bet you don't know. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of George Washington Carver?
1: No, no. See, that's
0: like, George Washington Carver is like a dude you 100% learn about in American elementary school. He was an inventor, and he is most known for inventing like a hundred different things you can do with the peanut, I believe including the invention of peanut butter.
1: Huh, okay, so that's, that's where guy. it came from. Oh, that's your guy. That's the. That's the. He's in the. He's in the America Hall of Fame. Like <laughs> Eli
0: Whitney. Do you learn about Eli Whitney or no? No, no. See no, another no. one like American inventors. Those guys we we learn about. We don't learn about like Sir Francis Drake.
1: Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I literally. Um, that was literally the. Oh no, so so in in the brief detour, but in my uh, in in my middle school, I guess it would be over in England when I grew up, um. All the you know everybody's sorted into sorted into houses like in Harry Potter kind of and all uh. my and and all our houses in my school were based off um, explorers. So I was uh, so I was in Raleigh, which was Sir Walter Raleigh. That was uh, Drake. That was Sydney. That was uh, that was all kinds of. But house names.
0: Sir Francis Drake was
1: a pirate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was in Raleigh, which was which was not the best house in terms of sport, which is which was the kind of the point of dividing them into houses so you can all compete against one another. But you know, so I've always I've always liked Sir Walter Raleigh because of it.
0: Um so so you're going with Marmite as the British uh, thing that you Marmite don't like.
1: and an honourable mention for Haggis. It just grosses me out. Haggis so, like, is
0: disgusting. That's yeah. I mean every single I we've discussed this before. Every I'm I'm sorry. if you look at the Wikipedia page of Scottish cuisine, every single one sounds like a disease.
1: Oh yeah, like <laughs> that's Cullen actually a great Cullen, way of putting it.
0: <laughs> Cullen skink and kakaliki soup, and like if just everything sounds like something like I, I got a bad case of the Cullen skink. <laughs> I can't. Sorry, I can't come
1: to your party. Oh, I got haggis bad today. <laughs> no,
0: like I always think of the um the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh, he says like it's my belief that all Scottish cuisine is based on a dare. And that has always been my... Like, I feel like that's a spot-on critique of Scottish cuisine.
1: Yeah. Not, 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 not a lover of haggis. I'm not Scottish, of course, but British, so I guess it counts. And, um, but man, yeah. I mean, it's just one of these things, right? Like, when... I mean, and you see it in parts of America, too, but... When there's just so much sheep, so many sheep in Scotland, you just start being like, "How can we eat literally every single part of it?" Every part of the <laughs>
0: buffalo. That's like the Native Americans. We again, yeah. another thing we learned about in elementary school. You probably didn't, but the Native Americans famously used every part of the
1: buffalo. Yeah, and so that's so that's essentially it, right? They just what they, I don't even know how they prepare it, but I believe they cook the. But they basically cook the contents of the sheep's stomach by cooking the sheep's stomach itself you know keeping it fully assembled and then That's kind of cracking gross. it
0: up. i don't want what the, it's i don't gross. want I know, it's, what the sheep has already eaten
1: it's so disgusting in so many ways i mean i i get grossed out just eating like you know and like british steak and kidney pies I, I, I kind of don't want to eat a kidney i don't know, I know call me crazy know, not into organs yeah i know i know give me i don't want the flesh i don't want the organs
0: right i mean uh, yeah i i find yeah I, I i am willing to try just about everything but the more you tell me about what it is, the less likely I am to really want it.
1: Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. if
0: you're telling me, like, this is – even, like, tongue, which kind of – you know, like like a tongue taco, I think, can be pretty good, and it tastes mostly like beef. But if you, like, isolate the tongue and you taste it and you're like, yeah, I kind of do texturally see why that might be a tongue – and then that grosses me
1: out. Yeah, it's kind of gross. And it's kind of like a trend in like high cuisine nowadays, right? To like take a really cheap part of uh, a cheap cut or a cheap part of the animal and then make it taste really good. But yeah, it, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just slightly closed minded or something, but I just don't. Doesn't do it for me. <laughs> doesn't do it
0: for me. All right. So, follow up to this question comes from Derek at Decon90 on Twitter. And he wants to know better sandwiches usa or uk you i have no qualification to answer this other than to say that your people did come at least we attribute the name sandwich to the fourth earl of sandwich john montague so brits can claim the sandwich although if you look people have been wrapping meat in bread for like all of history as long as we've had those things
1: yeah um i don't even uh, i think it's I, I don't know if the Brits came up with the sandwich. I guess they did, judging by your description. But I would say that America's hand down overtaken America in the in the sandwich Well, I mean, America's like known for sandwiches around. There's all different kinds. Like I can't even think of a good like sandwich. I mean, I guess they have bacon sandwiches in England, which are awesome for obvious reasons. But um,
0: but do they but stand yeah. up to like a BLT from a good diner?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so. Like I, but, uh, you know, the the sort of food that you hold and eat in england the the pasties right or like mini pies right. essentially um then just not a big sandwich nation and um, as uh, and so yeah i would say america hands down
0: okay i mean i i will buy that i'll say that like i feel like the usa and this probably speaks to a lot of things about our culture i feel like we're just jamming a lot more meat into the sandwich than i'm getting just about anywhere else in the world
1: well, I mean, like, let's broaden the question out, though. I mean, we're talking to the resident, well, just the the, the resident expert of everything on, on the podcast right now, but especially the resident sandwich. I mean, they ca- it must be a short list of countries ahead of America to have better sandwiches. Oh, I right? don't think. I
0: mean, I I'm biased. Um, I don't think there is one. Like, I think. That, okay. Yeah. And I think part of it is the is the, you know, the the sort of the inherent thing about the United States is that it's this melting pot of all different cultures and maybe that's overblown to some extent, but, you know, you go to Chicago and you get a Polish sausage or you go to uh, New Orleans and you get, you know, a sandwich on French bread because there are French, pre- French people there and you go to New York and you get an Italian hero and, and you know, and uh, and obviously all those things exist in in all those places. Uh, whereas, like, I would, the place that jumps out at me is Vietnam? I had tremendous sandwiches in in Vietnam. They're really, really good. But you're pretty much going to get a banh mi. Like it's it's that's the sandwich that they're selling there. We have that here. We have really good banh mi. Uh, but we can also you can also find you know a bacon egg and cheese.
1: Yeah, like I, I, I don't even know why it is such an like sandwiches are just so American in many ways. Like because you think like well you know France obviously is known for just putting stuff in a baguette and making it taste awesome but it, sandwiches aren't even that big in france because people don't really eat on the go there, you know whereas the, I sandwiches like is like, the
0: french sandwich it's in in my experience like if you're having like a, a baguette with something on it it's mostly about the bread there and yeah, like the yeah, yeah. the filling is secondary whereas here you know the filling is the primary element of the sandwich and the bread is secondary
1: yeah, yeah. I I I'm just trying to th- I mean I I'm just trying to think of other countries that are like really known for its sandwiches. Um, I, just... I mean
0: every like that's like like I said like like almost every country has a sandwich or something you can call a sandwich like uh in South America you can look at an arepa and say okay this, this is this more or less a sandwich, you know, like it's 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 corn patties instead of bread, I guess, but it's still a bread and it's still around some sort of meat or protein or filling of some sort. Uh, Again, really, really good. Also something I can get a really, really good version of on the Lower East Side. You know, so I feel like for having so many different types of people here. And I know that that's what the United States is hardly the only place with people from other countries. But, uh, you know, because it's a new country, maybe we don't have, you know, our food cultures, I think, are sort of constantly evolving and probably constantly trying to put new things on sandwiches.
1: Yeah, no I think that's fair right because if you think about like French food culture or British food culture or Spanish food like very there's like a very uh, structured there's a very structured uh mechanism in place right whereas like American culture like what would you consider like America it's kind of there's just so many different I think that variations. it's funny
0: like I always think about this like the, the I would say like the the things we most identify with American cuisine are hamburgers frankfurters and french fries and so they're all named after other places (laughs) that's true right like all of our all of the most well-known american things to eat at least by reputation are really from elsewhere
1: yeah no it's true it's true like if you asked like an english person what are the name the top five american foods they'd say like you know what hamburger hot dog pizza
0: right French pizza, Italian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah
1: exactly um
0: that's that's kind of how we roll i mean that's you know yeah. uh i guess corn is a very american food right
1: i guess yeah um, i guess
0: um you know like i'm just trying to think of things that are native to here uh corn being one of them so maybe corn but, stuff yeah. corn is delicious
1: no yeah yeah no so, i mean i'm, I'm kind of take it or leave it on corn to be honest <laughs> uh really? I, I, yeah yeah i don't really have a strong uh stance on corn uh, I mean, you're
0: probably not eating good corn
1: yeah i guess you gotta maybe get I'm, it
0: when it's in season maybe like, i'll have yeah. some
1: maybe yeah. i'll kill two birds with one stone. have corn pancakes because apparently i'm not getting good pancakes either oh right? you're definitely not <laughs>
0: getting good pancakes uh cornmeal pancakes are really good uh, have you not <laughs> had corn Have you don't you don't know that that's even a thing do you
1: i don't know that's even oh a thing. it's a
0: thing <laughs> and they're incredible do you like cornbread <laughs>
1: No, I love cornbread. Okay. love. yeah, you lived love, in the love,
0: south love. for years. Oh yeah,
1: cornbread is the best. Okay, like, so
0: so corn cornmeal pancakes are just flat
1: cornbread, basically. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. no, I love cornbread. Like, okay. love it, love it,
0: love All it. All right, well, good. Right, we're on the same page. Um, I I was gonna keep this next food question separate from that one for the sake of spreading them out, but because we are discussing American food culture, it seems like such an apt uh, uh, segue uh giraffe at J E R R A F raphael jerez wants to know which gimmick was worse and these are such these feel so american to me and like and i'm usually not ashamed of it but (coughs) which gimmick was worse the unicorn frappuccino from starbucks or the double down from kfc which is like the most american thing that has ever been produced
1: (laughs) (laughs) i know you want to lead us off on this one
0: um to me i mean it's this is a no-brainer for me i never had he he wants to know he says worst idea worst to taste everything i never had a unicorn frappuccino i i saw that it was a thing i go to star like there's a starbucks you know it's the same one that's right around the corner from your house it's right around the corner from my house um i'm not i feel like a lot of people who like me are sort of snobby and and inherently anti-corporate will reject starbucks Uh, out of hand and I don't because they have they serve coffee and that's my favorite thing in the world and I need tons of it so I'm not in a position to reject Starbucks but I am in a position to reject the unicorn frappuccino altogether Uh, mostly because I just don't really like sweet drinks Uh, I don't I I don't I try not to I try to limit sugar in general as we all should like if if they put um, it, uh, this is a thing, but like the sugar lobby has essentially presented prevented uh, the FDA from including sugar well, your recommended sugar totals. You know, if you look at a food label and it says like uh, you know this much vitamin A and that's twenty seven. Yeah, they don't 49%. put
1: it. They don't put it in percentage. They don't. Terms. They, they put don't it in do it for sugar.
0: Terms. They don't do it for sugar because like every single sweet thing you're eating has more sugar than you need for the day. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, I no. think the the unicorn frappuccino had as much sugar as like four twinkies or something like that and and if you ever like if anyone ever presented me with the option like hey do you want this pink beverage from starbucks or do you want four twinkies i'm always taking four twinkies like i want to get my sugar in food form
1: no it's true there's this great did you see that documentary i forget what it is but it was a great documentary about sugar and just about how pervasive I mean there's just sugar in everything like everything and and if you actually start like looking at like the ingredient the sugar content and all these things you're like oh my god like day you know my recommended daily value of sh- daily dose of sugar is supposed to be like 30 grams or something and yeah this alone has like 50 grams. yeah I mean that's, <laughs>
0: and that's the case of of the unicorn frappuccino it was about as much sugar as you need for like two days
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, I mean, look, I'm looking at the double down right now, and it has 125 percent of your daily sodium and 37 grams of fat. So, like, <laughs> – It is
0: definitely. It, I'm not saying it was good for you. I'm just yeah. saying if I'm going to eat something horrible for me, I'd rather actually eat it. I don't want to drink it.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um. Also, I had a the Taco Bell chicken taco, and that was good. You know, remember you brought bunches into the office that yeah. one time? They were credit yeah, Ted. I, yeah, I know. Credit, Ted. They were thoroughly You enjoyable. got that before um, it even came out. Oh, wow. Exclusive yeah. chicken. T- yeah, no, very, very delicious. Highly recommend. Um, Well, don't highly recommend. I recommend, I guess. <laughs> but, but, um, but you know... I, recommend. More than anything, I just didn't really like the color combination on the Unicorn Frappuccino. I mean, putting aside all the reasons why you shouldn't drink it, I just thought it was a kind of an ugly drink. Like, I don't know. It, it was well, you're too- not...
0: I mean, that's, that's... I think that's like a part of... Human nature, I think that we are we are sort of programmed understandably because of you know millions of years of of human life before the unicorn frappuccino to reject things that are, look unnatural in color because your body's not supposed to eat those things
1: yeah no um, I,
0: there's I saw a fascinating thing it was really cool it was it was almost so perfect that I was a little skeptical of it and it was like a food network science show and they fed a woman identical cupcakes with and they they did it with a few different people with uh five different color food dyes in the icing and so like when the brown one she was like yeah this is really good like i can taste the chocolate it's got a nice chocolate flavor and like the white one it was vanilla and then the blue one she was like this one's gross uh huh. because like we don't like bright blue foods are not something that and like we have like blue raspberry lollipops and stuff uh and i i kind of like the flavor that we've assigned to blue but bright blue flu- foods are not something we ever really eat in nature
1: well and, and that's also like bringing bringing it full circle that's kind that's also the reason why humans love sugar so much is because sugar back you know when we were we, when we were evolving you tasted something sweet you knew it wasn't spoiled you knew it was you know it was right. like and an you, orange or something so you were pumped yeah you it,
0: weren't getting enough sugar right so your body needed to know to it needed positive reinforcement for eating sugar
1: yeah exactly and so you know when if if you bite into an apple and it's spoiled and you taste sour that's like a red flag you bite into an apple it tastes kind of sweet that's like you know that's the go ahead fast forward to where we are now and we are just kind of genetically programmed to 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 really like sugar because it kind of points us to safety in evolutionary terms and and so now but now we can get more sugar than we could have ever dreamed of. And yeah, I mean, of-
0: I will say that I kind of fall back on the whole evolution thing when I'm eating, and it's like ah, it's probably not good for me. But you know what? Why would it taste so good if it's not good for me? My body's been programmed <laughs> to do this, so <laughs> eat the rest of this double down. And did you have any? Did you have a double down? I haven't no. Uh, so they're not. They're no longer on the menus. What the double down was? You looked it up. It's yeah. uh It was a sandwich made on two pieces of fried chicken, uh, <laughs> and it was good. It was good. Uh, like it. Uh, it was ridiculous, and it was a gimmick. But would if someone handed me a double down right now? Would I eat it? Yeah, absolutely. And if and if it was like you want this or the unicorn frappuccino. I don't even know which is worse for you. And so uh, I would go for the meat 100% of the time.
1: Also, can I just say that, like, I didn't drink coffee until about two years ago, and now I just drink coffee every day and, like, just love it. Welcome like, aboard. Welcome re- aboard. Thank you, thank you. Very much part of the club, and enjoying everything. But, like, I go to Starbucks, and I kind of wish that there was a bit more emphasis on, like, you could, like, like, in England, there is no, there is no place you can buy coffee that you also can't buy, like, an Americano or something. And I really like that. But I kind of never understood that people who are like, oh, I love coffee, I need caffeine, and then they go get a Frappuccino or something. Yeah, just, like, just a milkshake. Yeah, right? And, right?
0: and it's good, just... it's good, it tastes good. I was going to say before when we we're talking about sweet drinks, like the milkshake is the exception for me. But, yeah, it's not, I mean, I don't know. I have, I like I said, like it's sort of complicated for me and Starbucks. And I, I've read a really good take on that, which was that like for all we might lament a lot of different things about Starbucks. And this is true. Before Starbucks became a thing, coffee shops just weren't really that big of a thing in the United States. And so... I think we can credit Starbucks and the rise of Starbucks and the pervasiveness of Starbucks for the coffee house culture uh, upon which I now rely, really, because that's like 60 percent of the time where I work.
1: Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like big fan of Starbucks, big fan of, um, of coffee. Uh, see, I don't <laughs>
0: really particularly like Starbucks coffee.
1: I, I kind of think it's a bit too acidic, but just in terms of like I kind of I don't know I respect Starbucks. It's a it's a it's a really well run company. It's just you know it, it, as you said it popularized an entire industry and and kind of revolutionized an entire mm-hmm. industry, right? Like it's a really big company. It's it, it, it's it's always cool to see um it, always cool to see people succeed in such wide scale ways. But like I don't begrudge anybody who's going to have a unicorn frappuccino just really not my thing like
0: (laughs) yeah i would say that that's it like i i oh man i wish i could pull it up uh i i was once behind a a young i I would say young woman she wasn't a young one she's a girl she was probably 14 years old at starbucks and i remember tweeting out her oh yeah i tweeted out her order because she repeated it so many times this girl got a trinta which is the size so big at starbucks that they don't even advertise that they have that right like they have it but they don't tell you that they have it because it's like uh, it's just like it's inappropriately and uh just way too big um you should never have that much of anything from starbucks i I would you know sometimes every coffee anyway she wanted a trinta strawberry acai refresher made with lemonade instead of water with two pumps each of peach and mango, and one pump of raspberry.
1: Huh. So that's
0: <laughs> like that, and like that is a drink that is like sort of vaguely billed as healthy because it's this acai refresher, and people are like acai. That's a superfruit. That's a superfood, or whatever. That is that's got to have like unicorn frappuccino levels of sugar in it.
1: Yeah, my mom my mom has a very particular Starbucks order and I remember it because I used to have to order it for her all the time. And she gets a venti since downside to a grande, but so she get so I guess now her order is a grande quad shot low fat wet cappuccino. So like if you break it down it's 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 four shots of espresso right it's it's low fat milk and it's wet so it's like slightly more milk but it's low fat which is like mm. you know it's, it's okay now um wet cappuccino yep so uh <laughs> yeah it's
0: a, i mean it's a very specific
1: order. it's it's, it's essentially rocket fuel right
0: yeah. <laughs> like but i yeah. i respect that because as a like a a complete caffeine addict i get it i get i four <laughs> shots of espresso and one is like oh that's a lot does she then have a second? Like did because for me I'd rather spread my caffeine throughout the day than like load up in the morning like that. Oh no,
1: that's what she, that's like her caffeine for the day, I guess. Okay. So, so like she, for she me kind of it's like... Up, like one grande cup, which is just 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 straight caffeine essentially and then she's good for the day.
0: Okay. So I would crash. So I would like to I usually have a cup of coffee right when I wake up, then I have another like uh, an hour later and then maybe like one in the early afternoon and that's how i that's how i get
1: oh wow through. you're like a three cup a day oh
0: like, at the least at the least oh, wow. and then like i mean cut to october and i'm like seven coffees a day
1: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah because you are no sleep yeah. but, like, but like um yeah so I, I i guess generally i try to limit it to one cup a day and i try not to like have multiple cups especially on the weekends just because I don't want to like get caffeine headaches and stuff I don't know but like um, usually I find like my most enjoyable coffee days is I have like coffee in the morning then three o'clock rolls around get a sneaky coffee in the three o'clock and then I'm and then I very, very well suited for the day
0: okay um, I mean, that's, that's reasonable. And like, I would love to live in a world where I only needed one cup of coffee, but <laughs> it's just not going to happen for me. Like I, I, I gotta, you, I gotta pick and choose my battles here in life. And like, ultimately, like I'm not going to ever go to the gym if I don't have a cup of coffee first. And so probably I'm better off drinking the coffee and going to the gym than just not drinking
1: the coffee and not going get, to the gym. Do you get like the caffeine withdrawal headaches?
0: Oh yeah. Like I, that's like, I've. I've joked about this before, but like like in October, I was legitimately having trouble a lot of the time. Legitimately having trouble determining if the headache I had was from too much, much coffee or not enough coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that is a common oh, experience. Like, um, all right. Next, we got two more questions. Uh, this one might be tougher for you because I'm not sure how many of these things you spent – well, you weren't even really, uh, you You didn't spend a lot of the 80s alive, right? No, I was born right. in 89. So right, practice, so, you know. yeah. so this would be a throwback for you to before you were born, whereas for me it would be just my, my young youth. Um, and I can't imagine, have you ever seen The Golden Girls? Do you know that show?
1: Golden. I mean, I know of it, I haven't seen it.
0: So The Golden Girls was a show about four old ladies living in a house together basically it was adorable and it was also like a really funny show like a legitimately good show and sort of this different premise where instead of like young hot people living in a house together it was like old pretty ladies living in a house together enjoying retirement in florida and you know meeting hot old dudes and stuff
1: how did uh, how did it do in our theme song ranking? Did, did it make the theme song ranking? Uh,
0: it had a great theme song, a very recognizable one. I don't, I think it was in there. I think it was in the, it was in the ranking. Uh, I can't imagine Charles and I wouldn't have put it in there, but I don't it sounds, remember winning. It
1: sounds like the kind of show that I probably argued down because I hadn't, I don't right. know a bunch about it. <laughs> I
0: mean, that was that was a big issue for all of us, but I don't want to revisit that. <laughs> um, shows luke hasn't seen that uh, yeah um anyway dan.lewis at dan.lewis dan lewis wants to wants us to recast the golden girls using 1980s athletes he says specifically one mlb one nfl one nba and a coach from any sport um i would say that that seems uh enormously specific like I, it would be tough i don't want to say like this guy is going to be Dorothy, and this guy is going to be Blanche. Those are the names of Golden Girls characters. And this guy is going to be Sophia. That is the funny one. Um, she was the oldest, although the actress <laughs> was actually secretly the youngest. Um, so, But I would just say, so I, I want to generalize Dan's question and just think about athletes we would like to watch living in a house together, uh, especially retired athletes. He suggests um, and i believe he is correct. He says, obviously, Keith Hernandez is the MLB guy. I will not contest that. Uh, even even having gotten to know Keith Hernandez a little bit, I would say that that is still 100% a guy I would want to watch do stuff because he's hilarious. Uh, I think both like actually a funny dude and also sort of hilarious in concept as this amazing New York mustache man. Um, and... For me, uh, I would want Bill Walton in a house of ex-athletes to watch uh, for a coach. And I mentioned already my my allegiance to Georgetown basketball. Uh, John Thompson Jr., the the sort of the original coaching John Thompson, but for his disapproving scowl, I think would go really well with Hernandez and Walton's quirks. Uh, the one I was struggling with was finding a, a football player that I think would fit into the mix. Um, especially because of sort of unfortunate outcomes for a lot of the best football players for the, from the 1980s. Um, so I'll go with Joe Montana and only because I thought Joe Montana was super funny on Saturday Night live when he used to host it.
1: That's fair. I, I so I don't, I, I don't know by sport, but I feel like I've got a good group of names who okay. I could, yeah. who I would definitely, That's all um, right. you know, so some more recent, some still playing, of course. But like, got to got to get Bartolo in there. Bartolo alone, right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, first name on the list. Um, I, I, I'd put John Daly's name forward. I feel like things would turn messy in a hurry, but in a kind of a amusing, fun way <laughs> with John Daly in, in the house. Then maybe throw in somebody super serious, like like a uh, Jim Harbaugh or something. You know, some like drill sergeant type, the opposite of like Bartolo and Jim Harbor Seems Daly. like
0: so quirkily weird that uh, he would be a really entertaining guy to watch. Do just,
1: like, just like a psycho alongside, like, you know, Bartolo, Cologne, yeah, would yeah. just be so funny. I and then, it. like, maybe, like, some comic appeal. So maybe, like, throw in Shaq in there or something. Shaquille O'Neal. I like was, your
0: show. I think your show is probably better than my show. Uh, I feel like a good
1: I... blend of characters. I mean, I'm trying to think of – you need one more, like, impressionable person, you know? I'm not sure who's, like, yeah, a you
0: want, sl- slightly like, – you want the straight man in there. Yeah, yeah, somebody who's
1: going to get pulled in all these different, like, I don't know, who's this, like, I don't know, maybe like a Brett Favre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel
0: like Joe Montana is a pretty good choice for that.
1: Yeah, like kind of a nice guy who, like, like you Marino, know. Dan
0: Marino, right? Like he was Dan Marino playing Dan Marino in Ace Ventura. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I feel like <laughs> somebody's that
1: going Somebody who's going to bridge the divide, because if we're thinking about this in terms of like a real world type situation, um, uh, you, you would have sort of... Daily and and Jim Harbour are constantly fighting and Shaq kind of loosening a lot, but you need somebody who's like, guys, guys, we got to get along. We're all friends here,
0: right? Um, because in it's like a late period real world where they have like some task besides just living together. Like, yeah, like now yeah, they have exactly. to run a smoothie shop or something.
1: Yes, yeah, so you have the psycho Jim Harbour. You have the yeah, yeah, exactly. You have the guy who's like productive but funny. Um, and Shaq. you have the two. Um, well, I don't know if Bartolo's a like slacker type, but John Daly is like all slack. I think that
0: Bartolo um, is like the Bartolo. The you're talking about Bartolo the myth, not actual Bartolo the man. Well, yeah,
1: because like his output is undeniable, right? right? And,
0: but I'm all about Bartolo the myth,
1: so I'm with you. He's chill, right? He seems pretty chill. Yeah, guy.
0: I mean, he, he certainly. I I he obviously works hard. You wouldn't get to where he is without doing that. But by reputation, by looking at him, just by his body ma- language on the mound, he just seems like a guy who doesn't give a crap about anything. You know, like he's just out here. He's just chucking the ball. And that's it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And John Daly is literally like that person. Like yeah. literally all talent. Like um, a s- stupid amount of talent. But just, you know, demons off the course. But also just like lack of work ethic on it, which he's admitted himself. And, um, he's just, a, he's just a talent guy and he's done some incredible things with it. But, um, you know, he's, not, he, he's not the guy who's going to be uh, on the range until all hours of the night.
0: All right. Last question. Uh, this has to be for you because as you know, I have never seen a moment of a Harry Potter movie or read a page of a Harry Potter book. <laughs> uh, so from Sitar Michael Donato, He wants to know, philosopher's stone or sorcerer's stone.
1: Hmm. I well, in English. So, do 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 you understand the question? Not
0: even a little bit.
1: (laughs) Okay. So in the um. In England, of course, where the Harry Potter books were published, um, it was it was published on the name Harry Potter and the Philosophers' Stone. Um, and when it came to America, I don't exactly know why. Um, in England, they said it's because Americans didn't understand the term, though. Um, though because
0: we didn't know the term philosopher?
1: Yeah, apparently. But again, like that's obviously a bitter English that notion. That does sound
0: <laughs> like, oh, we produced um, John Locke.
1: But, <laughs> but in any case, when they brought the book over to America, they didn't just change the cover up, they changed the title to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and it was a very, it very much perturbed English people, because this kind of thing very much perturbs English people. Um, I'm all, I always call it the Philosopher's Stone. Um, uh, J.K. Rowling named the book the Philosopher's Stone, so I'm inclined to let her have her say over it, right? But um, I don't
0: know why, why would they have changed that?
1: I don't know. I think I they wonder thought if it's it...
0: just like philosopher is just way less sexy sounding than sorcerer.
1: That's that's probably honestly. I think it must have been a marketability. They probably thought like you know if a bunch of you know what what the age range eight to fourteen year olds are going to win this like they they might not be super familiar with the term philosopher, but they will know what a sorcerer is.
0: Well, I think American eight to fourteen year olds can handle the term philosopher. I, I know, know that. I, I would just say that to me it's I'm a better not. name. It's a better Listen. name from an outside perspective. I just want to say – just let me make this point. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, what is that book about? I have no clue, right? I don't know what that book's about. I don't know whether philosophers have stones or not. Like I don't, I don't get that. Whereas Sorcerer's Stone, it says right in there that, that, that wizardry is involved.
1: Yeah, no, I see your point. And look, I'm not trying to denigrate the 8 to 14-year-old American youths of the world. But, um, but but you know, I, th- I think it must have been a marketability thing, right? Like, I bet, like, some exec in New York or whatever was like, you know what, I bet this book will fly a little more if we call it Sorcerer's Stone. makes it a bit more accessible. And look, like, I, c- I can understand that. I-, I just tend to lean towards Philosopher's Stone.
0: Have so. you ever heard the term Philosopher's Stone outside of... Uh, Harry Potter context?
1: No, Harry no, Potter, not at all. It. So, because I,
0: I, well, I just went to the Wikipedia page. I don't. I'm not pretending I know about this. But uh, according to the Wikipedia, the Philosopher's Stone or Stone of the Philosophers is a legendary alchemical substance uh, capable of turning base metals such as mercury into gold uh, or silver. It is also able to extend one's life and called the Elixir of Life, useful for re- rejuvenation and achieving immortality. So I was going to say, like, if that's a commonly discussed little kid thing in England, then I would get – because we didn't talk about that here.
1: Well, see, and I was about to say, so, like, J.K. Rowling is so good at digging up these, like – I mean, everything – in the Harry Potter books, it's like either a play on words or there's some meaning behind it that is actually a factual meaning at the very base of it, you know? Um, and that's exactly, I didn't know that that's what the definition of Philosopher's Stone was, but that's exactly what the Philosopher's Stone does in the book. So like she chose Philosopher's Stone, it sounded like for that very reason, because it um, it because it, it makes you immortal. Um, so yeah, I, I it, 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 I can ima- I- I'm surprised she signed off on it. Um, apparently, it wasn't that important to her. She signed off on it, right?
0: I guess so. I know. Again, I know absolutely <laughs> nothing
1: about this world.
0: I, to the point that I'm now embarrassed by it because it comes up in trivia and in Jeopardy all the time. I mentioned this before. It's just I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna get into it. I'm gonna have to. I think I'm gonna have to sit down and watch the movies. I feel like that's probably the most efficient way of at least understanding what the hell is going on when people talk about Harry Potter, but it has gotten to a breaking point where it's like, now I feel like I'm being intentionally ignorant of this thing.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this last podcast. Well, you know, things get to a point where they actually start... Uh, you start not understanding cultural references if you haven't seen the book. Like, I just saw The Shining maybe six months ago for the first time, and suddenly, like, all these cultural references make sense to me now. <laughs> you know, the the blood pouring through the elevator or the twins in the hallway or all these kinds of things. Whereas, um, I feel like, I don't know if Game of Thrones will reach that point, but I feel like Harry Potter has gotten to the point. Game where, of Thrones
0: like, is getting there, too. People reference yeah, Game of Thrones constantly, and if you haven't seen it, you are like, you know what, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but I'm guessing it's a Game of Thrones reference.
1: Yeah, like, you know, The Shining's long gone. Star Wars is long gone. Uh, Harry Potter's kind of very much part of, you know, the lots of cultural reference floating around. Um, Game of Thrones is probably approaching um, that point too. So, yeah, you know, I, I feel like there's just a point where you just have to suck it up and be like, got to, I, I got I to gotta understand what jokes people are making here.
0: I feel like those things, once I get to that point where it's like I can't avoid it anymore, those things are almost always disappointing. Like even uh, The Godfather. It was like I had never seen The Godfather until a couple months ago. I finally was like, okay, i got to watch Godfather. First of all, it's three hours long. I, I don't really have a lot of time for that. That's fine. It was a fine movie. Uh, it had its moments. But mostly I felt like I had already seen the whole movie because I've heard every single quote repeated a billion times. And it's just like, oh, that's where this part comes in. This is where he says, take the cannoli. This is where this thing, you know, like and and you kind of just feel like it now is just like putting together a puzzle of well-known quotes rather than it is actually watching a movie unfold.
1: Yeah, and can I just say too that this actually relates to sports, just to bring it back to sports, because like, um, there, I feel like this happens all the time too. Like, there, there are soccer. Just to use a recent example. Like, I kind of think John Terry. Of course, I'm biased. I'm a Chelsea fan, but he just retired. Chelsea's greatest ever defender is probably the best English defender of all time. Like, I wouldn't be pretty confident in saying that statement in a in as rational way as I can. What about but like William like,
0: William the First? In yeah.
1: <laughs> Very good defender, right? <laughs> but, but um, but 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 there are like, but 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 there's this one guy, Bobby Moore, who won the World Cup for England. Who you know nobody saw, but every but you dare you say Bobby Moore wasn't amazing defender? And it's just a, it's, it's so far gone that it's just past the point of myth now. Like it's just you, you can't even have a rational discussion because like it's just such a given to so many people that this guy is the best, no matter what case close. Like, Pele is the best soccer player of all time, no matter what. When, like, kind of might not be. And um, I feel like it gets that way with movies, too, where things get... They're good. They're, they're really good or innovative movies, let's say, and they just build up so much hype over time that the hype then gets mythologized... Uh, turns into a myth. And, I don't even think it takes um,
0: time. I don't even think it takes time. Like, I, this comes up sometimes in our, in our Slack chat. Uh, John Wick, the John Wick movies... They were pretty good. I like action movies. I'm down with that. The internet will have you believe that they're, like, high art and, like, tell you – and, like, everybody has the same take about, like, oh, look at the bold way this movie was shot. Like, everybody read the same take on John Wick, and they all just sort of bought into it. And, like, those movies were pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, like and, – and that's the thing. Like, before long, like, it's, like, given us like, – like, people are just assuming, like – you know, Oh man, this was, you know, player X was amazing. Or this movie was amazing. And they kind of don't even like, not even very familiar with the reasons why they say that it's just kind of a given. It's a little frustrating.
0: Yeah. People have trouble forming their own strong opinions about, about things. And like I said, that is a great way to wrap it up because I think that of all of the things we disagree upon, at least we can agree that we form our own opinions about things.
1: That's right. We may butt heads about it at times, but at least we respect that we at least formulate them on our own terms. Yeah,
0: don't say I don't, I don't want to use the word respect. That's a little bit much. But uh, <laughs> what the hell was
1: I think? Appreciate. Yeah, <laughs> acknowledge. Yeah. All right.
0: Uh, you can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. You can check out everything Luke is writing uh, at For the Win, uh, I am also writing at For the Win. Luke is on Twitter at Luke I am at Og Ted Berg. Find us across all social media platforms. It will be good. Uh, rate us, review us, give us harsh feedback. Uh, let us know what's going on. Share us your strong takes. All of those things. Luke, thank you for joining me
1: this afternoon. Thank you for having. Thank you for putting up with me, Ted. I appreciate
0: it. I am begrudgingly glad to do so. And <laughs> peace out. <laughs> yeah <laughs>